1: Hello everyone and welcome to a very, very special episode of the History of England sponsored by Simon Hall of Hall's Hammered Coins. I owe Simon one. Well, I owe him several actually. So, if you're looking to buy a coin as a magnificent memento of days gone by, hop along to hallshammeredcoins.com. Now then, the format today is dry Mal. Firstly, I'm going to tell you a lot about what you thought about the English Revolution because you told me... It was fascinating, I have to say. Secondly, there will be a draw for three prizes. Are you on the edge of your seats? Because you should be. And then last, but not leastly, it just so happens, in the most extraordinarily spooky stroke of uh, genius, Wolfe and I recorded a review on History and Technicolor of Cromwell, the 1970 film with Richard Harris as Cromers. And also... Wolf and I are just starting a new season of six or more films for History and Technicolor, so really the stars, everyone, the stars are aligning. The new season of hit, by the way, in this order, will include Cromwell, 1970, Rob Roy, made in 1995 so much better than Braveheart, The Favourite, 2018, A Hoot, In Cold Blood 1967, Legan, 2001, and Gladiator, you know, Whenever. It may well also have the death of Stalin, but as yet, I'm not promising, another is Wolf. Anyway, whether you listen to the Cromers here or on the History and Technicolor feed, welcome to a new season of fun and indeed a new season of laughter. So, let us get down to business, as the greengrocer said to her husband. The poll was fantastic and I loved it. Sadly, due to my own personal character, but but mainly technological failings, I was forced to type in each and every entry to a spreadsheet. And I am prepared to reveal that there were several hundred responses. But this is gratifying, because it means I know your views. Each and every one of you. You new revisionists, I have your number. Ye clubbermen, shrink not from the call of destiny. I'll start with that question, actually with whom you reckoned you might identify. And I must admit that I'd expected the Cavaliers to come last. We are, after all, more in the political tradition these days that no longer recognises the divine right of monarchs. There are quite a few of you, though, who did feel that you would have supported the king at the time. I realise that doesn't mean you believe in the divine right of kings now, but the most popular category, however, was not the Cavaliers, and it wasn't the Roundheads either, and I thought it would be. It was, in fact, the Clubbermen. Just let us get on with getting on. I have no doubt that many at the time shared your view. Then we had the other choice between long and short term consequences, drivers for the English Revolution, and it was the long by quite a convincing margin. 60% of you rather than 40% thought there were long term reasons going on here. It wasn't just, you know, a blip. Then to the choice of questions, which of the theories did you all like? And there were two of them that it was obvious from the start were going to be the least popular, to be honest. The new revisionism idea that really King Charles was being perfectly helpful and you couldn't really expect him to behave outside his personal idiom anyway. And then the idea of the revolt of the provinces against the centre. Those are both down at 6% of votes. But then, I have to tell you, it was a real ding-dong between the other four, and I mean there was dinging and donging, jockeying for position, first one, then t'other. I am relieved for the reputation of our professional historian brethren that the current orthodoxy revisionism, that it's principally a political cock-up, revisionism did end up top dog. But nibbling at, at its bottom were the three other dogs of history in the shape of the Whig view, of a glorious linear progression to modernity, the theory that it's all about religion, darling, and finally, that what we're seeing here is the pressure of social change and the rise of the gentry in the middle classes against their aristocratic oppressors in the making of a capitalist society. So over the next few weeks, months and possibly decades, there's all to play for. I've put the results table on tinternet, thehistoryofengland.co.uk, by the way, if you want to have a look at it and noodle Right, now the draw, the prize draw. And then on to Cromers. I did the draw using a random number generator. And in third place, we have the winner of the silver, Charles I Groat. And I can announce that the winner's email starts with space. Then there's some stuff. And then there's dot com. That's the word space, S-P-A-C-E, just to be clear. Then some stuff. Then dot com. Congratulations. Look for the coming of my email at dawn, probably joining Gandalf in your junk folder, or email me if you can't find it at david54031 at gmail.com. Second prize, the Rose Style me, minted in 1638 9, goes to the person with the email starting B. Froim, then some stuff, dot com. That's B E F R O I M. Then stuff.com And now the star prize. Da 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 da, da, da 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 minted in 1644 at Oxford, a city under siege. Later pierced by a royalist to wear as a badge of belonging, loyalty and pride to their king. And this goes to the person with the email beginning with... With a name, then Pim, then Some Stuff... Then .com, so that's a name. Pim, then some stuff .com. Congratulations to all three of you, but thanks very much to all of you actually who took part. There were loads of it; it was great. My shed pinged with comments on the website, loads and loads of interesting views and comments, all of which I loved reading. And do go and have a look if you have a moment, because you know it's really interesting. Thanks again to Simon Hall of Hall's Hammered Coins for making it all possible. Right now. Off to history and Technicolour and the story of Cromwell. Are you not entertained? Hello, everybody, and welcome to History and Technicolour. We are back for a new season, Wolf and I. Wolf, I've missed you. And I've missed you, David. Have you really? You're such a fibber. No, I'm not. No, I have missed
0: you. And this is... Why I've picked one of the films that I picked was all for you. Excellent. Is that
1: right? You picked Rob Roy, which is coming next time, everybody. Just for me. I did, yes. Because I love Braveheart so much. Was that in thinking? Um, no, but I thought you might like this more. Yes. I think that's... Anyway, we're going to talk about that next time. Because this week, we're going to talk about a film which uh, I've kind of been putting off. For a, while, a film I saw in my youth and didn't really dare do yet because I hadn't done much work on the object of the film and now it's time I think so we are going to review Cromwell how do you feel about that Wolf
0: um fairly I'm quite I'm excited to hear what you're going to say in this episode possibly more than I was about watching the film.
1: Right, okay. That's not a good start. Oh, I see. You're more excited about what I might say than you were excited about watching the film before you watched it.
0: Yes, I'm saying that I like your company and what you're going to say is going to be interesting.
1: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, we're off to a flyer then, aren't we, in the new season? Right, we're going to discuss Cromwell. Let me tell you something about it and then we can have a chat. So, before I start had you seen the film before or heard of it
0: i had only heard of it in the context of us doing research for possible films i had never seen it um and i guess i i knew it was richard harris but that was that was about all i knew
1: very good and what baggage and preconceptions about the civil wars did you take into the film from i don't know school anywhere else i wouldn't say i had baggage because to me it was
0: a hand when i was watching the film it was a handy reminder of various things that i had studied about the civil war just like re-jogging memories
1: so you had to study rather stuff you, you did know
0: something yeah. about it yeah okay um yeah i think it had charles the first at a level in Ooh, did quite some focus that's quite unusual actually it was that side of things was interesting. And I was thinking about when he was um, disbanding parliament and when he was, Oh, there was the, there was the ship levies, which didn't come up in this or something. And I remember spending so much time writing about yes, these ship, tax, ship yeah. taxes. Yeah. Um, so I, I quite enjoyed all of that kind of having that um, bought back. Yeah. The, I guess the only baggage I had is that I have a loose conception of
1: your uh uh-huh. Views of Cromwell. Is that right? I'm very, very, s- very often in my family misrepresented for my views about Cromwell,
0: <laughs> and I, I am intrigued to see if it is a misunderstanding. But there's a there's a moment like five minutes into the film where he defends all the peasants uh-huh. um, over the ownership of their pasture yes. and the right to own farmland and the right to roam. Yes, probably. common land. And I was like, well,
1: I was like, land. oh
0: my. God. And I knew that you were up off your seat, cheering, <laughs> like
1: rooting for Cromwell. And you were like, "Yeah, stick Come it to on. him!" Yes, absolutely right. That is true. Okay, so that's the only baggage. I mean, there are so many things about my views that my family mis- misrepresent. Wolf, can I just say that? Can I just say that? You know, to the world in general, uh, how resentful I feel about that. So let us get on with it because uh, you know we've got to get through things. So Cromwell. The film, why am I proposing this film? Because when I was a nipper wolf, I saw it many times on telly and I absolutely loved it. I utterly believed that Cromwell was a saviour of democracy and I loved the historical pageant of it all, okay? Also, because it's almost as though Charles I had come back to earth in Alec Guinness's form, proof positive of reincarnation, wolf. And Prince Rupert was the absolute model of a dashing Cavalier. Love that guy. Thirdly, because Cromwell is one of the most enigmatic and controversial figures in British history. Obviously, he's not in Ireland. He's not controversial at all. And actually, I think the Irish sometimes think that he's revered in English history, and there are people who do revere him. But he's always been, even in England, deeply, deeply controversial. Lovers and haters, arguments that will never go away. The other thing about Cromwell, actually, is that there are more myths about Cromwell than flies on a pile of poo, you know. So That's a lot. Oh, that is a lot of flies. Um, high summer, you know, that sort of level. You're not in the middle of winter where you don't get many flies. Anyway, should we stop talking about flies on poo? Wait, is there is there a myth about his head being yes. dug up after he was buried? That is actually true. Nobody knows where it is, but they think it ended up in Sydney, Sussex, I think. And the master knows where it's hidden uh, and won't tell anybody. It's Very good. interesting, Very, very funny. Anyway, so, I mean, he's an absolute, you know, incredibly famous figure and very divisive. Um, okay, then also, I've got so many reasons why I chose this movie. It's a fascinating study of history as national myth. So, you know, we quite often, there are plenty of people who like, um, or who admire British democracy. Um, But there is no point, you know, there's no French revolution, there's no uh, Irish rebellion, there's, there's none of those things, there's no American revolution. Uh, There's no point in time where we can say, hey, this is when we became free, because it kind of crept up on us. You know, England doesn't have a victimology. So, Who do we idealise or idolise for a British democracy that are given that's crept up on us? And Cromwell is one of those characters you might think of. I'm also interested to see how my perception would change after all this time, having seen it only as a nipper. And there's only one more reason. And also because I think it prompts a question we must come to later. Who, Wolf, I put it to you or I will put it to you, who owns history? Yes, I've been puzzling over this. Have you? It's a bit of a big one. We really ought to have an episode on that subject. But anyway, moving on. What is it? Came out in 1970. It is two hours, 20 minutes, which was cut apparently from something like three hours. It has not a great reputation, but it's got one of those interesting reputations. So critics really don't like it very much. Um, They didn't like it a lot at the time. They haven't really liked it since. In fact, I read... Some reviews which you know burnt my ears um, but interestingly enough that I think there's quite a disparity between what critics think and what audiences think. so on IMDB, which is an audience rating, it's seven point zip, so perfectly decent on Rotten Tomatoes critics forty three percent approval audiences seventy percent approval again well sixty nine people like it more than critics think they ought to essentially usually a sign of a good movie director and writer was ken hughes who apparently read a book 10 years before in 1960 by john Buchan, fantastic Scottish author and he's also the director of another film which is chitty chitty bang bang chitty chitty bang bang it's an obvious mix isn't it cromwell chitty Chitty bang bang Chitty chitty bang bang cromwell we love you oliver cromwell oliver cromwell we love you you know that sort of thing you can see them singing that in uh wherever. <laughs> can you no some great english actors i might want to weep alec guinness as charles i've already mentioned robert morley we will come to oh, i love robert morley more than words was he confused. was he manchester he was manchester timothy dalton <laughs> Dorothy Teuton is Henrietta. And apparently some really famous people that you would know about and I wouldn't, because you know about films and I know naff all about films really. Jeffrey Unsworth was the cinematographer, apparently quite famous. Oh, I don't know. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I'm glad it's not just me. And Frank Cordell made the, did the music. Apparently he's quite famous too. I've looked them up. Excellent. Okay. Reviews at the time, very mixed. I've got a few samples. Financial Times was in the middle, called it mainstream historical fiction. Uh, the Daily Mail, unsurprisingly, it's good to know the Daily Mail never changes, excites the imagination, and stirs the blood without insulting our intelligence. Because, you know, they're like a nice patriotic movie. Uh, films and Filming Magazine described it as a compound of falsehoods and half truths, which is, you know, pretty accurate, really. Okay. Yep. Shall I charge on? So, what is the film? Very quickly, it covers an enormous and terrifyingly complex period. Uh, but essentially focuses on Cromwell's biopic and a series of disputes that we now call the Wars of Three Kingdoms. Sometimes, if you're a very bright spark, you call it Five Kingdoms. Obviously, it should be called the Wars of Three Kingdoms and under principality. Wales always gets left out, which is unfair because it was a critical area of support for the king, but I digress. So, We follow Cromwell and his growing sense of disenchantment with the king, from firmly believing that the kingdom is unimaginable without the king, to believing that the king's power must be better tempered by parliament, to in the end believing that the king must die. There's a Wishbone Ash song called The King Must Die. Are you aware of it? Um, I don't think so, but I have been trying to listen to more Wishbone Ash in general. I mean, that's an immutable law of life. It's always important to listen (coughs) to more Wishbone Ash. Actually, I think it might be The King Must Come, so forget that entire conversation. The film ends when Cromwell dismisses the rump parliament, quite grumpily, actually, and stands there glowering the cameras as the new protector. And to, to be honest, there is a lot of glowering in this movie. Along the way, the film tries to shoehorn all the major events and characters into something less than the Port Elizabeth Test Match of 1939. How many days, Wolf, did the Port Elizabeth Test Match of 1939 last? Uh, Oh, it's either going to be really, really, really long or really short. I'll say really long. Let's say 28 days. 28 days? Nine days, as it happens, 28 days. But yes... Because and they only finished because they had to get the boat from uh, from South Africa. Anyway, so the fact that they try to shoehorn so much in will have consequences, Wolf. Everything has a reaction. Okay, so that is what the film is. Second question for you, Wolf: Are you Mm -hmm. wrong and romantic, or right and repulsive? If you need a reference point for that question, you need to refer to 1066 and all that. by sellers and in the eight. So you gave me the reference point, but I still didn't understand uh, it. Oh, your research. Come on, Wolf. Wait. 1066 and all that is a classic uh, text written well before any of us were born or indeed probably before man picked up a flint. And it's a mocking of Whig history. Whig history as you may know, is the the idea that we've had a linear progression from, you know, scrabbling around in the mud to the pinnacle of civilization, which is, you know, British democracy. And it mocks that received history that we used to have. We have less now, obviously. Uh, anyway, so they actually encapsulated the civil wars as the Cavaliers, who were described in this Whig history as... You know, wrong, but fantastically dressed and, oh, you know, see. having a great time. So, wrong and romantic. Whereas the roundheads obviously were for democracy and, you know, the rights of the common people and the levelers and the diggers and all that sort of thing. Uh, but were pretty, pretty horrid because they're, you know, most of them are driven by very puritanical type of religion. So, are you wrong or romantic and romantic? Or right and repulsive. I'm right and repulsive, but I'm not puritanical. Excellent, excellent. Um, okay, well, we're all puritanical these days, anyway. So, look, uh, but let's just leave that hanging there. So, let's discuss the films of film. Did you enjoy it, Wolf? Or did it make one you want to eat your liver, or something in between? Because there is a midpoint between those, I think. Hmm. I don't think that
0: I enjoyed it, but I found it an interesting exercise in the context of what we're doing and kind of looking at history. Yeah. I actually I want to go through the things that I enjoyed before okay. I criticize that- it too much because I don't want right. to start off on the wrong foot. No, let's start positive. I thought it was very dramatic. There was uh-huh. definitely yeah. no lack of acting.
1: Yes. Of course. Um, <laughs>
0: Richard Harris would Harris. turn
1: Richard Harris he was that... is that his voice it come from a cork actually no um, but I I'm imagine I've always imagined Richard Harris should really come from Solihull um he'd turn to
0: camera at every opportunity usually yeah. put his arm up above his head and it was it was like he was doing theatre and he would like you could see all the spit coming out of his mouth as he'd like shout his lines at the camera yeah. never really looking at the people he was actually shouting at like he he was so stressed
1: out that he just couldn't even he couldn't even look at these people <laughs> uh, the funny thing was that sorry I'm interrupting you but one of the changes you know I said did would I still like it as a uh, now as when I was a nipper I loved uh Harris Harris when I was um it's in porridge they've got a character called Harris anyway um <laughs> And he's a real weaselly. Harris. Anyway. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yes. So that, he was one of the guys I loved as a nipper. I watched, when I watched it again. I thought, come on. You know, he's just over the top. He's always grumpy. Right at the beginning, we've got a lovely scene of the Cambridge Marshes, um, And he turns around. And, you know, it's a lovely evening and his friends have come. And he turns around and glowers at them as though he wants to eat them. You know, come on. Anyway.
0: Yeah, it does feel like he's waiting for death, like the moment the film begins. And it, and yeah. by the end, gosh, when he storms into Parliament, I'm like, oh, put, somebody put this man out of his misery. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I actually didn't... See, I preferred his performance to Alec Guinness, but maybe oh, this is just the first knew. viewing. Oh,
1: right, this, we're stopping this program right now. Goodbye. Because
0: I know that it was hammy, and I know that it was like over the top, but I was like, you're committed to something. You know exactly what you're doing and you're just going to go for it. And so for that reason, and within the context of the film and how it wants to portray Cromwell, I'm not too mad about that. It's if anything, the film lets him down, but like he has a role, which is to shout his political views as loudly as possible because no one's listening. Mm -hmm. And he must've been so aggrieved and frustrated by everyone around him. Like I was trying to think if you had, if you had done all of this, and then everyone you worked with was just corrupt. And then they just misused Parliament. The rage he must have felt. It's uncontrollable. So I'm like, okay, I, I see this. Just to me, Alex Guinness's accent would like drop in and out, which I wasn't so sure about. And maybe he was a more complex version of the character. Because he definitely had like layers to him. Weaknesses. Mm. And you could kind of tell that he was struggling through this process. But i don't know he's just a little bit sniveling right okay maybe if that's the right word yeah and i'm not sure what i meant to take from actually no i enjoyed him for like comedy um i really enjoyed the line where he goes you're too loud lord strafford it's most unpleasant (laughs) to the ears
1: yeah there is quite a lot of comedy actually whether it's intended in this film um, and we'll come to the greatest comic character. Anyway, any other things you liked? This is I, still the like yeah. section, is it? I, I thought
0: the battle scenes were really good, yeah, um, that especially fun. that second one at Naseby, because now the first one makes sense that it's like a failed battle. So when it first happened, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this isn't, doesn't look too good, mm-hmm. but I guess it's meant to be deliberately chaotic. Mm-hmm. I thought you could actually get a sense of the tactics and the strategy involved, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I liked the depiction of Parliament in general. Yeah, um, I agree, actually. I very much agree. I thought those those scenes worked well and the set was good. Everyone in there shouting, baying over each other. I appreciated that. Um, in general, I thought, yeah, it was quite nice to watch this film while lounging on the sofa, the sun coming through the window and just listening to those trumpeteers signaling lots of important things happening. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay,
1: yeah. It's yeah. like, it has Sunday afternoon... Indeed. Did you actually work on the film in the 70s then? Because it sounds like you've got that trumpet down to a T. Um, no, but I I, ah, I, I wish shocked. I had, I guess. Um, maybe I can bring Me it too. back.
0: Yes. Are, are you now thinking, David, I'm assuming you are, are you also thinking about that bit in Shrek 2 where the trumpeters perform and then he goes, bur, bur,
1: bur, 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 and, <laughs> and then he goes, and the, enough, Reggie. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of that, but I should have been. I apologize for not thinking
0: of it. the greatest trumpeter. yeah that's that's like my good things. I thought it was like had decent
1: Sunday afternoon vibes and and I could enjoy that. Um, Actually, a very good way of describing it. might I say Sunday afternoon vibes <laughs> because those, that's all the time I ever watched it was you know on a Sunday afternoon when you know after uh you know the Dickie Davis and football yeah just sit down and just think about the
0: formation of parliament as we know it. Yes, indeed. A few negatives, as I kind of sum up my overall feeling. It wasn't the most exciting film, and stylishly um, it didn't really have much for me. Um, I don't overly appreciate its approach to the story, which is kind of like deliver as much history as physically possible, summarized over a period of time. The battle sequences are like a relief because it's just – and I'm not opposed to dialogue, um, but it's a lot of – um exposition being delivered endlessly uh, yeah. in these conversations and it has to it has to cover so much time i i honestly couldn't believe that we cut from cromwell in his house being like get out i'll never hear a bad word said about this king then he opens his front door and he's like be gone with you i'll have this king's head and he he has to move through yeah. his like entire character arc in just a couple of scenes yeah and he'll go from having one like incredibly strong point of view to the exact polar opposite point of view within the space of like 10 seconds, one single act. So it's obviously simplified. And just to me, it was, it was just very dense and a little bit
1: of a slog to get through all of that history. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. I think uh, there are just too many notes on that that famous Amadeus quote, which I always think, it's a good point about Mozart, you know, Wolfgang, there are too many notes anyway, but there are just too many characters, too much plot, the topic is too big, and the film just collapses under the weight of it all. Yeah. And I, I think the cost of that is in the character development because the characters can't breathe. Mm-hmm. And actually, the thing I like about Charles and Alec Guinness's Charles is that actually you do get, he's the only guy really that you get any sense of layers in um, his kind mm-hmm. of duplicity, the depth of his beliefs, the fact that he loves the Queen uh, Henrietta Maria, um, you know, the, his children thing, the fact that he dies very well, uh, and yet the fact that he's incredibly duplicitous—you get a bit of a sense of somebody who is a person as opposed to somebody carrying out a role in order to get through the history. And That's why I like. I see that, uh, Alec. Guinness better. But yeah, and you're right about the pace, you know, it traces a credible kind of story. I mean it's incredibly inaccurate, but we'll come back to that. But basically ignoring the inaccuracy, it's a credible story of the civil wars. It kind of leads from one thing to another. But it is like watching a history lesson rather than, you know, a drama about yeah. real people.
0: I thought um, if I was studying it at school, this would be like a helpful yeah.
1: um although it comparison. Obviously, but yes. <laughs> uh, So, yes, it's got all of those problems. And so as a film, it really isn't great. There are some good bits. So sometimes bits of humanity do creep out. Sometimes Cromwell comes, because one of the things about Cromwell which makes him such a problem for us is that at the time, actually, although some people hated many people, especially in the army and the people he was associated closely with, really liked him, ordinary people that met him found him very personable. Uh, with the common touch and he has a com- strong belief in you know honest people god-fearing honest people as it were and sometimes that comes out in some of it, interactions Charles I've mentioned Prince Rupert isn't well-rounded as a character but he's just superb isn't he he's yes. superbly dashing wrong and romantic in exactly the best most cavalier fashion yeah, he was great. I mean, it's Timothy Dalton. What's well, not to love? Indeed, with his little doggy, you know, and all the rest of it, and his all his silk, fantastic. Love it. Other good things. There's, every so often, you get a bit of show, not tell. Quite rare. And I'm looking for positives. I'm looking for, you know, the pearl and the poo. Uh huh. But an example for is when Cromwell presents the heads of proposals to Charles and they have a very positive conversation and um, and they have a very positive conversation, they go away and then he completely changes his mind and doesn't even bother to read it, according to Edward Hyde. Also, the costumes are fantastic. I love them. I mean, they're not very realistic. They're, you know, it's old style, non-realism, but they're great, aren't they? I absolutely loved Cromwell's brown
0: leather boots that go yes. all the way up to like Ooh, mid mid thigh all the way up.
1: i mean the footwear in that film is astounding isn't it i mean those boots are like back in fashion now yeah i mean actually those boots i mean they could appear on any you know stage in a CD nightclub somewhere in you know well birmingham um so i thought i thought they were impressive i couldn't believe he was wearing them very impressive indeed i'd like a pair of boots like that um
0: did did you notice this is, this is my last thing that I didn't like, and I thought it was very oh. funny. Did you notice that, especially in the first half an hour of the movie, every time the word Civil War gets
1: mentioned, the music goes dum-dum-dum! <laughs> well, I had a question for you, actually, uh, Wolf. If you were going to play uh, a drinking game mm-hmm. while watching Cromwell, where you took a swig of real ale every time the words Great Nation were used, how drunk would you be by the end of it?
0: Uh, I I wouldn't have finished the movie no I'd I'd have vomited about one hour ten
1: (laughs) it would have been down to the hospital to have your liver replaced yes I'd have looked a little
0: bit like Cromwell looks at the end of the movie about the midway point
1: great nation yeah fantastic Fantastic.
0: or how many times it plays the song praise the lord just like
1: throughout the movie (laughs) should put it rolling Although I suppose that's probably quite realistic really um also I thought the set pieces were really well done, which I think is probably agreeing with what you said earlier. You know, the bits in Parliament I think are really good. Um, the battles are a bit confusing and ungory, but you know, a blaze of colour and stuff. There is one guy who gets a pike in the eye and it was Stop. very funny. I laughed so much. <laughs> That's not good. Um the trial is excellent. I think it's really really well done. Uh, although I remember the movie having a bit in it where, sorry, the head falls off Prince Charles's cane, as opposed to the head falling off his shoulders, which it, mm. we need to later, uh, and rolls across the floor and nobody picks it up. And you can see on his face wh- wh- what's going on here. You know, I'm a king and yet nobody's picking the head of my cane up for me, which I thought was a really good moment. But it wasn't there in the version I saw. Maybe I'm misremembering mm. it. Um, I enjoyed the parliamentary pieces like you. The execution, I thought, were were very well done. I'm being really positive here. There were mo- some moments of genuine drama. The hanging of John Carter, for example, I thought was very well done. Mm-hmm. Just die swings before he finds out about the king's duplicity. There are some fantastic moments of humour. The one I would focus on is Robert Morley. is an absolute scream as the idea identikit aristocratic villain i love that guy i've always loved that guy i love him in everything he's done since he was born and he is magnificent he used to appear in a lot of hammer horrors i think have you seen theater of blood that's exactly he was brilliant in that he got fed he was gluttony wasn't he or something like that he's the one who has to eat his dogs yes yes oh he's that man is a genius
0: i mean Um... you know Interestingly, yeah. the guy he sat next to, Essex, yes. I think,
1: is one of the others in that movie as well. Oh, is that right? Well, what no. fun they must have over supper discussing their previous movies. My <laughs> I, loved, I loved Robert Morley, everything, time he was on there. But I love Thomas Wentworth as well, and entirely understand why they gave him a Yorkshire accent, quite apart from the fact that he was, in fact, a Yorkshireman. There was a very lovely bit also, which really made me howl, when the young Prince Henry is trying to cry because he's going to say goodbye to his dad and he's got to run away. And he mm-hmm. does a really, really, I mean, I'm mean, i sure he's a brilliant actor now, but he does a really bad job of trying to cry. OK, anyway, so they go up, the two kiddies sit on dad's knee because, you know, they've got to leave dad and, you know, and dad <sighs> tries to reassure them, yeah. you know, oh, they're there, it's fine. he. And he says to them, look, son, Parliament will cut off thy father's head. And that's supposed to make them feel better. And nice then, selection, Charlie.
0: This this nice deranged parents. this deranged child returns like he replies one minute later and he's uh, the king says something like, What will you do if they try to make you king? And he's like, I'd rather be torn to pieces.
1: And I was like, <laughs> Oh,
0: alright. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> all right, that could be arranged too. I'm sure Cromwell would like to know. Uh, Frank Cordell's music got a lot of compliments. I wasn't 100% convinced by that. I thought it was a bit portentous. But there are some really great lines. I'm going to try some lines on you and see whether you recognise them. Okay, Uh, And these are great lines. They're sort of embedded in the family, in the family, the national consciousness. These are of the stories of the Civil War and they use them all. And I like that, actually. So he goes into Parliament. I see the birds have flown when he's trying to arrest the five people. Yep, I definitely pointed at the television. I was like, oh, I remember that one. Essex or Manchester, who says, if we beat the king 99 times, he will still be king. If he beats us once, we will all be hanged. Great line, very true. Never was a crown so dearly lost and so easily regained, Edward Hyde. Hmm. Fairfax saying to Cromwell, when he Cromwell's going loony at the end, we cut off a king's head for such as this. Put your trust in God, but keep your powder dry. Classic mm. line, a uh, lovely line from Charles, which isn't in the historiography, but a democracy. Mr. Cromwell was a Greek rolery based <laughs> on the foolish notion that there there are extraordinary possibilities in very ordinary people. I mean, a great line. There is a there was a quite
0: a funny line where he was like something along the lines of "I will not be told what to do by basket
1: makers." <laughs> <laughs> That's great, isn't it? It's very good. And then one more, uh, it shall not be done in a corner, which is one of Cromwell's greatest claims to a good press, actually, is that kings have been killed throughout English history. Uh, And indeed, British history, the Scots were always at it. But um, this time, it wasn't done by starving them or shoving them in a prison or shoving something secretly up their bottom when nobody was looking. This was done in public, on a public trial, whatever you think of the legal veracity of that trial. It Um, would be done in a corner. I did appreciate the last thing that I enjoyed, and
0: this doesn't mean that it's a good movie, is the use of like background actors with really strong regional accents and like common dialect yeah. to say things like, we love you, my Lord. And then I've got the king in the head. I'm sorry. I've got the head of the king. And they would, you just, these
1: opportunities for random peasants to just show yes. classic peasant dialogue. <laughs> while the, while the main stuff obviously goes on in, well, acceptable RP, except Thomas Wentworth, obviously, who tries desperately to bring a bit of Yorkshire into it. Like, I just think it would be fun to be one of those people who gets to go,
0: traitor!
1: <laughs> <laughs> traitor! That's right, yeah. Very good. Okay, so that's the film. Anything else to be said about the film as a film? Um, no. Now we have to talk about the film Wolf as a historical record. On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being extremely close and faithful to one being a complete bag of made-up stuff, how close do you think we'll be? Which end of the scale do you think we'll be at? Um, I'm I'm going to guess, based on what you've been suggesting,
0: that we're going to be talking <laughs> a round of one or a two. Yes, um, it could be. The only thing I would say for it is being like a little bit naive and not being clued up on this. Um, and while I definitely didn't take what it was doing as gospel, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is simplifying everything, um, it did just give me like a handy little crib sheet reminder of, like, the general points that occurred um, with a few key, like, dates and names and locations and individuals. So for just, like, your average cinema goer, I when I finished watching it, I didn't think, oh, this is definitely a one. I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, that's fine. Like, they're just skipping out lots of stuff and and changing things, but it's probably okay.
1: Actually, that's a very good corrective because although it's a very partial view of the period designed, I think, for a specific purpose. Yeah, you do get that. You do get some of the main events. If you're not going to think, well, was X there and why there? Was this driven by X or Y and so on? You do get a sort of progression of, the, of some of the major events in Civil Wars. So why do you think the film was made? What was the purpose of the movie, Wolf? So I've gone back and forth on this because I don't
0: know what the general consensus on Cromwell would have been at the time. My assumption is that this film is trying to rehabilitate Cromwell's image and argues that he's one of the most important and misunderstood figures in English history. There's, there's like a, a general approach to let's try and show the entire Civil War, get through that as like a good, exciting history lesson. Um, And through that, they give Charles this slightly more complex character. But I think that's all done to just show us kind of how um, deceitful he is. He gets a lot of negative moments where he is being a bad king. And I don't think they give Cromwell the same negatives. He's generally always on the side of honor and justice and the right thing. So. He prospers throughout the whole film, which is and is named after him. So fine. I should have done more research on late sixties, early seventies
1: British Bad boy Bad political boy. history. Because you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Wolf fessing up. Because at the end of this movie, it
0: it really feels like Cromwell is shouting at modern day Parliament um, and the audience who's right. watching. I could be wrong about this. Maybe there's no connection at all, but he's making such a a strong point about what Parliament should be. Hmm. And I'm like, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the filmmakers had a perception of what was happening in British politics at the time that they did not agree with. And it was like a reminder to audiences, like, this is what your government should be doing for you. Are they doing it?
1: Okay, so I think I'd agree with you part of the way there. Certainly, mm-hmm. it's presenting a very positive view of Cromwell, isn't it? One of the complexities about Cromwell, I think, is that th- there is a Cromwell that we desperately want him to be. And unfortunately, there are things like his brutality in Ireland and the close to tyranny, although discuss of the protectorate that just Get in the way of that story, mm-hmm. because it's impossible, really, you know whatever however you might rationalize what he does is in an Ireland and look at it in context and so on and so forth, and thinking about the sixteen forty one revolt it's impossible to look at Cromwell in Ireland in a positive light um so I'm going to read from you the Oliver Cromwell from a Ladybird adventure history book, okay which Us and the listeners in the history of England refer to a lot for historiography. Oliver Mm -hmm. Cromwell was a brave man as well as a great one. Edward Hyde at the time, who wrote the famous history of the rebellion, I think described Cromwell as a brave man, but a bad man, I think. So this is a different approach to that view, but he was a royalist, Clarendon. He'd always charged with his men into the battles of the Civil War, this is an honest man. It's saying this is a guy who's down with the people. Now, with many enemies who wish nothing better than the kill, to kill him, he moved freely around the country. Brave man message. He believed always that God would protect him. This is 1970. We're just out of the sixes. God is still important to the national consciousness. Cromwell was also a good man. He was deeply religious and neither greedy nor, except in Ireland, cruel. He was a good father to his children and the friend of all honest men. So that... Well, what a amazing. guy. What a guy. That, to me, is the national myth, the kind of we want him to be. We want him to be a lover of democracy, a friend of the common man, somebody who brought liberty and light and changed the Constitution forever, as it were. The trouble is... He isn't really quite that, but there is enough truth in that story to make it a compelling one. Sorry, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, how do you think that this film portrays him then? He portrays him like that. This is an expression of the Whig national myth of Cromwell, the proto-democrat who laid the basis for the world's greatest constitution sort of stuff. I think that's what it is. And I think... I don't think it's necessarily trying to correct, you know, a false view that had grown Mm. up about Cromwell. I think there is, has always been and will always be probably that element in how some people view Cromwell, because we want it to be true. And it's much more complicated than that, but it's not completely untrue. He wasn't a Democrat, incidentally. He didn't believe in one man, one vote, or that sort of thing. Although he did believe in representation of the people in the way that the 17th century man, women, understood that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he gets a lot of grief from commentators saying this is historical inaccuracy because he doesn't believe in democracy. And that's kind of true. On the other hand, he does believe in the represent- representation of ordinary people and that ordinary people have a voice. It's just that needs to come through the natural leaders of society the gentry people like Cromers. Anyway, sorry, you were going to say something.
0: Um, I was going to say, has would you say the general perception of Cromwell has
1: changed in the forty or fifty years since then? I don't know because I haven't done, looked at it scientifically. But certainly, if you're on the online coffee shop, there's a lot of negativity about Cromwell. So what he does in Ireland, which I've already you know talked about briefly. And he's often described as a bigot, a religious bigot, which is, I think, the most meaningless accusation. It's an accusation that I think doesn't understand the 17th century. In fact, Cromwell was unacceptably pluralist in his religious views for most of his contemporaries. He was an independent, so he believed that that you should not interfere with a man's conscience – and that people should be able to worship the God that they recognise within themselves. He couldn't get enough people to accept that, which is, I think, why the tyranny happens, because he's never able to found a state on that principle. He never gets a parliament that will legislate in that way, and therefore he has to keep getting rid of them, and he uses the major generals and so on. Now, of course, Catholics will be laughing in horror uh, at that, because that doesn't apply to Catholics. But more specifically, it doesn't apply to uh, rebels and papists. Papist is not a term I'd like to use at any, in, in modern context, but it's very important for the 17th century, because Protestants all over Europe, n- not just in England, very much in Scotland, but also other places that, in Reformed churches, believed that the Pope was the Antichrist. It's not an insult. It's not like saying, oh, Wolf, you're the Antichrist, or even (laughs) Keir Starmer saying to (laughs) Boris Johnson, you are the Antichrist. You know, it's not an insult. They, They believed the Pope had come down and had deceived people throughout Christendom into believing a false belief and were leading them to hell. Crikey. Obviously, we don't believe that sort of stuff there, but that was very widespread. widespread. Cromwell was completely, completely usual in that, in Protestant Europe. So I don't know why. Why did I launch into that? But, um, you know, we have misconceptions about Cromwell. Some of them are fair. Some of them are not. He was not a social radical, in fact, but he did believe in the representation of the people. Anyway, so that's my view about the film. The history presents the Cromwell that we want him to be, an ordinary man, one of us, lover of the rights of the ordinary person, up for democracy. Um, and it therefore sweeps aside the things that get in the way of that story. It doesn't cover Ireland. It doesn't cover the protectorate. Religion is there, but not in the way that would stick in the throat of the 20th century watcher. Yeah, the only thing about the
0: protectorate is you get that one person who's like, this is a dictatorship. And then it cuts to the narrator who's like, and Cromwell would rule this nation brilliantly as yes. the protectorate for six years. And you'd be like, okay. That's right. Yes.
1: Actually the, I mean, that's, that's actually true. I think it's Fairfax says, you know, we cut off some of the King's heads for such as you're doing. And actually, Hadis uh, has a go at it right at the beginning. He says, uh, a great nation, prosperous, God-fearing, good laws, strong, respected throughout the world. This, was an England I dreamed of that's what the film is trying to present here that this is a man with that vision who helps create that vision and it's I think done by somebody who believes that is what we are which is a a nice uncomplicated view of life it's also worth looking back a bit about context at the time uh, the troubles had started in Ireland. The British army had been sent out. The IRA is happening. There's decolonisation. So the foundations of British mm. society are, are wobbling. There's the chaos of the 70s. People are wearing flared jeans, for crying out loud. And there's no greater challenge to civilization than that. I'm sure you'll agree.
0: I, I, I agree. Oh, Put the gun down, David.
1: Put <laughs> the gun down. So... To summarise, the inaccuracies of films are absolutely legion. It's as bad as Braveheart and there is no greater insult in the lexicon Mm. of historical inaccuracy. My gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are just way too many to list. Here are a few. Uh, Cromwell is is represented as one of the five members that Charlie Boy comes to arrest. He was not. It makes that fundamental error of putting Cromwell at the centre of everything from the very beginning, and he simply mm. was not. The likes of John Hamden, John Pym, Lord and C- Sale, Essex, were far more important. It squishes three civil wars into one civil war. The relative sizes of the forces at Naseby were completely the wrong way round. The Parliament side had way more than Charles. The commander-in-chief of the army was not Cromwell. It was, in fact, Fairfax. It ignores Ireland and the Protectorate again. Uh, We talked about democracy, uh, underplays religion, and I think thereby actually does Cromwell a disservice. We've completely forgotten the story of Cromwell, the independent religious pluralist. So I think that brings us down to a question. It is wildly inaccurate. Mm -hmm. But in his defence, if Cromwell is a bloke, that has to deal with all kinds of myths. So... Canceling Christmas, for example, Cromwell, the religious bigot or Cromwell, the social radical, um, you know, just inaccurate myths. So what is history for? Wolf and who owns it? So I'm going to give you before you answer that question, I'm going to give you some tasters. Fake history. We all hate f- fake history. Everybody gets very cross about it um, or people of a certain persuasion, myself included, uh, get very annoyed about it. Fake history, But look, it can be useful. So in this period, for example, the levellers who introduced real ideas of social change, of democracy, democracy for men, obviously not for women, but, you know, hey, dem- very democratic ideas and social change and equality. They relied on the fake history that that was what has their ancient rights embedded in Magna Carta. Is complete tripe because Magna Carta is a peace treaty between the king and his barons. But fake history helped build that positive modern message. And several times fake history helped us move towards democracy. Second point communities need stories. You can't build a community without shared stories and shared sense of pride. And we are obsessed these days with trying to, or some people are, trying to tear down all those myths. And I'm sure that's right. You know, you have to be accurate about history. You have to look it squarely in the face if you're going to be a mature society. But there is a price to pay, and that price might well be in community coherence and so on. I'm pushing this a bit. Finally, academic history can be very, very dry and increasingly narrow in scope. This is a very contentious statement. I could, could be entirely wrong. But the big historians who built big, sweeping stories over you know, many seconds, they haven't disappeared. I mean, Sapiens, for example, is, is an example of that. But they're quite rare now. It's, academic historians are quite embarrassed about people like Macaulay and so on who try and build big stories but communities need stories anyway so what i'm saying is i don't know the answer to this question but it is more complicated than oh history has got to be academic history where every fact is analyzed you know there has to be something more than that and it's not just academic historians who own it we all own it i rest what do you think (laughs) (laughs) was
0: There's a lot to. There's a, lot to take there's a question there. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think we're going to continue to talk about this in the next episode because I think a lot of this comes ties in sure, with Rob yeah.
1: Roy. I think you're right. An individual figure again that's mythologized that we can. And it does in Braveheart, of course, because yeah. you know whatever the you know the stuff about Braveheart. Well, it builds a fantastic national story uh, and it gets people interested. Anyway, sorry, Karen.
0: I also think there's. We are talking about films as well, and I think there's a there is like that additional level to be considered because if you're looking at storytelling, what I want from a film is not necessarily what well, is definitely not historical accuracy. Yeah. I want the storytelling. I yeah. want the interpretation um, reimagining you know alternate realities, however you want to use the past to comment on the present and kind of i don't know be interesting thought-provoking fun so yes i agree with you that like we all like own history but i i think the the key problem is when since history is generally written by the victors that misinformation and fake history i guess as you say is
1: is that true anymore is sorry to interrupt is history written by the victors anymore but okay, when, when did it stop being written by the victors? I think that's one of the very positive things about modern history, actually, is that history is now being written much more from the bottom up. But it it still must have some general basis, right? Well, people repeat it a lot, and I'm being a bit radical, and most people, I'm sure, would agree with you because people trot it out all the time. But I'm not sure it's necessarily <laughs> oh God, true. I can't anymore. believe I'm someone who just trotted that out. <laughs> so, like, I'm going to delete that bit. I'm appalled. I'm sorry. Obviously, a lot of people believe that statement that history is written by the victors what i'm doing is is saying that i think history has changed or the way we approach history has changed that's very positive so for example we now look at the experience of the colonized rather than the colonizer and that's entirely positive anyway sorry it's but that's through
0: that's through like retroactive investigation um of history that has been like suppressed and erased deliberately to promote one level of like historical understanding
1: so, yes, certainly. I agree with you in the past that history has traditionally always been written by the victors. So I
0: think in that regard, learning more, uncovering more truth, developing a better understanding of the past is crucial, and thus yeah. accuracy is important. Agreed. But I guess just, it's, it's just a balancing act. There's not going to be one defined answer. There are so many times when I would just prefer it to be myths and legends and fun stories that we can all recall and there is benefit to this like collective storytelling that's passed on like a different form of oral history um and there's fun in it it's fun thinking all these mm. it's fun thinking that cromwell ruined christmas like <laughs>
1: but he didn't
0: i guess but like it doesn't it doesn't really cause anyone a problem if, if it's true or not like in that it makes regard,
1: my head explode that's a problem
0: i just think we have to be able to analyze history and not take everything you hear as as truth, and you can be presented with one idea or one story and be like, okay, cool, and take what you like and or you believe from that, and just
1: look further. I mean, I, t- I totally agree, and my problem with this is that I totally agree both things that you you must look at your history squarely, but also I do think communities need to have shared stories, and it's how you select those stories and how you reconcile the two and how you create the balance. And I don't know the answer, anyway. Are we done with that topic? Let's evaluate the movie because we have delighted people enough. Would you recommend anyone go and see this film, Wolf? Um, I'm going to say no.
0: But I think that if, if you already know that this is the kind of film that you would like, if there's something of these actors of this time period, of this type of, of British film, you probably would still get something out of it on a Sunday afternoon.
1: Yeah, I agree with Sunday afternoon bit. I think I would recommend anyone go and see it uh, because it's a real pageant of colour and because it's an interesting exercise in historiography and hagiography, of course, as for Conroy and for Alec Guinness, Timothy Dalton, and especially Robert Morley. But I must admit, I'd put a big health warning on it. Incidentally, what I meant to also say is that if you want to see a better, if also hardly entirely accurate, coverage of the civil wars... You might watch a TV series called The Devil's Whore. It's a really good drama made for Channel Four in two thousand and eight. Never got the attention it deserved, I think. With Andrea Riseborough, Dominic West is in the role of Cromwell, but he's a you know, he's just one of many, although he's a lead character in it. It paints a much more credible picture of Cromwell and why he turns into what he does, and some of the fascinating issues and opportunities that people face in the Civil War, particularly through the objective of a woman uh, it's a really i think it's fantastic drama um so check it out it's called the devil's mm. whore channel 4 uh marking now the quality as a film uh five you know bang on mate bang on the right answer what do i win in a sense it's the one that i've got written down what do i win sorry you win a golden pineapple ah, that's, okay it will look lovely on my shelf it will. Um, historical
0: accuracy, one to, 1 to 10. I think you have to answer this one, but I'm guessing you're going to say like a
1: 2. Yeah, I put, I went I was, went generous and did 3 because, you know, you do get a lot of the main events kind of thing, but it is riddled with okay. horrors. Um, I can't remember what I scored Braveheart. Mm. Anyway, probably worse than that. Probably a minus 10. But in summary, yes, probably. In summary, Wolf, when all is said and done, I still love it. Richard Harris, I think I said, really annoys me, whereas I used to love him. So that was the biggest change, really. And I now know all the historical accuracies, or some of them, anyway. Um, But I still, Sunday afternoon, noodling on the sofa, fantastic. I still enjoyed it. I shouldn't do. I'm going to go and do as I traditionally do when I like a film that I should not, and go and roll in the morning dew naked and thrash myself soundly with hazel twigs which i also did for master of commander i believe and the video will be circulated on social media i look forward to seeing that yes i'm sure you will We're done. are we done very good well thank you very much for listening everybody come on to the facebook site where we'll put a poll up and you can come and talk about what is history what a horrible bigot uh cromwell was and how wrong i am about that are you not entertained? And we'll rant about all the horrible things. That. And it'll be fun. Brilliant. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with Rob Roy. Yes, we will, which will be very exciting. So, all right. Bye, everyone. Bye.